Man, I'm excited that you guys are here. We're in uh, week four of this series that we've been talking about called Godly Wisdom. If we have a little, things get a little freaky, maybe lights or computer or sound system, we're just grateful that we have electricity today. Uh, Some of you may know it stormed here over the weekend and lightning actually struck, we were told it struck the church. Uh, None of us were actually here, but we have had all kinds of issues this past week. And uh, we were were planning a candlelight service this morning at one point. And, uh, but God is good. And so we are, we're glad to be able to have electricity and air conditioning today. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to uh, first Kings chapter 11, the old Testament, first Kings chapter 11. While you're turning there, I want to welcome our guests that might be visiting with us today. Uh, if you've, uh, never, uh, been in worship with us before, uh, what you see is what you get. We're just kind of normal like you. And uh, if you're not normal, you won't feel comfortable here at all. Uh, but uh, we're glad you're here. There's some cards there in the back of your seat. Uh, we'd ask that you fill one of those out. Uh, you can leave it laying in your chair or uh, you can take it to the Welcome Center and they'll give you a gift following service. Uh, we're not going to harass you with a, a lot of uh, mail or anything like that. We just want to know who you are and that you're here. For those of you that helped last week with the tailgate and treat, thank you so much. Uh, Phenomenal time uh, in our church, in our community last Sunday night. We were able to make some uh, new connections to some families that live in our our, uh, community that don't attend church. And so we're trusting God that he'll use those connections that we made. Just a great turnout. I was talking with someone and, and, uh, uh, that doesn't go to our church that they were here uh, for the event and they were talking about how awesome it was to see all those kids having such a good time. But they made the comment, they said, but I'm going to tell you what's more impressive is the number of volunteers that you have here working this event. And uh, I was like, yeah, we are extremely blessed. So thank you so much. Uh, for bringing candy, buying candy, uh, working that event. It it was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I read uh, this past week in USA Today, they reported that Americans would spend 2.6 billion, with a B, billion dollars on Halloween candy uh, this year. And I was like, hey, uh, Greenbrier Nazarene spent right at that, I'm pretty sure. uh, last Sunday, but thank you so much. And just to also reminder, Daniel mentioned our children's uh, ministry center. Uh, we are looking forward to getting started on that. We're putting a little update in your uh, handout that you receive each week that, that's giving you kind of a running total of where that building fund is. So you can look up, look at that. You can keep up with that. Uh, it's, uh, if you want to look at it right now, you'll see how much is in there to date. Uh, and, and we're talking about building uh, like a quarter of a million dollar building. And so, uh, just look at how much is there and see how much we have to go. But, uh, no, we're blessed. We're going to borrow a lot of that money, but the more we can raise and bring in, the less we have to borrow. So we appreciate, uh, you, uh, praying about that, considering that. And those of you that have already given, thank you so much. We're in week four of this series. We're calling Godly Wisdom. Enjoyed so much uh, spending some time looking at the life of Solomon. 
Uh, scripture tells us uh, the wisest man to ever walk on this earth, to ever live, uh, that is until Jesus came along. And we talked about what great news that is for you and I, that that happened last week. And so if you've missed any of those uh, in the past, I encourage you to go back. You can listen to the podcast or go to our website and, and listen to them. As I was preparing for this week, uh, I began to think about, uh, you know, uh, back in, in time at, to people, as I was looking at the topic we're talking about today, I began to think about people and I even asked my family, who are some people that maybe when you were younger or when you were a kid was really famous person or maybe really popular or may, maybe at the top of their game and you just kind of don't know where they're at now. You don't ever know, you don't know what happened to them, you know? And so I said, I asked my family, I said, you know, think about that and get back with me. Uh, none of them did. And so, uh, I just did what, what I normally do when I need help and my family won't help me. I go to Google and I, I Googled, where are they now? And, and began to just look at people that were famous. And, and one story that I ran across really sparked my attention. But there was a television show when I was a kid uh, that was really popular, uh, a show that was called Different Strokes. Anybody remember Different Strokes, that television show? Oh, I watched it all the time. There was a little guy on there that was quick-witted, really funny. Remember what his name was? Arnold. Arnold. What was he famous for saying? What you talking about, Willis, right? Uh, cute little kid, great story, loved to watch it. Uh, this little African-American uh, dude that was an orphan was adopted into this very wealthy family. His dad was Philip Drummond, and so they did this really cool television show. Uh, but anyway, I, as I began to read, I thought, you know, that, that guy was pretty talented. He was, you know, kind of on top of his game back then, but you never really heard anything else about him after that. At least I didn't. Uh, I, don't, I don't watch those Hollywood you know, uh, news shows or whatever. And so I began to, to study a little bit. Uh, his name, Arnold's real name is Gary Coleman. Uh, and as I began to look, I found out that at the age of 10, he uh, formed his own company when he was 10 years old. It was called Gary Coleman Productions. At the age of 10, his parents became his full-time managers and their sons paid employees. How many 10-year-olds this morning would love to have their parents working for them, right? And I thought, how awesome was that, that that would happen? Uh, but Coleman's career took a drop uh, after the show was canceled in, in 1986. Uh, and he turned to his trust fund at that time that was estimated uh, as when he was a child at the peak of his career, his trust fund was estimated at $18 million, all right? Now, he discovered at the age of 18 that this $18 million trust fund had actually been depleted down to about $200,000. And come to find out, his parents were the ones that had basically drained all of this money out of his trust. And so he sued his parents and his family, and he ended up recovering three or four million dollars from his family toward that trust, but it was a huge mess uh, within his family. Uh, Coleman, many of you may be aware, he suffered from a lot of medical issues. It's the reason he was so short, had a lot of issues. He was on dialysis all of his life. Uh, he had severe depression, which led him to attempt suicide 
uh, multiple times in his life. Money became tight later on. He eventually, after it was all said and done, uh, things were so tight and difficult for him financially, he ended up becoming a security guard, uh, just trying to make ends meet. And then in 1999, he filed for bankruptcy. Uh, reading Throughout his life, he had multiple arrests. He had anger issues. Uh, his life just continually would seem to be unraveling. And he died at a young age of 42 years old. And as I read that and began to think about that, I thought, you know, here was someone that as a child had everything that this world had to offer, right? I mean, at the top of his game, uh, as successful as any person could possibly be at a very young age, and then it all just fell apart, you know? And now years later, we're going, where are, where are they now? Where is he now? And as I thought about that, I thought that, you know, that's exactly what happened in the life of Solomon. Over the last three weeks, we've been looking at the story of Solomon. And here this morning in chapter 11, we're going to see where it all just kind of unravels and where it all goes wrong. And so let's pick it up this morning in chapter 11, uh, verse number one. And uh, let's, let's just see what happens in Solomon's life. Starting in verse 1, chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations uh, which the Lord, about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts. Holy cow. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. This is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 17 for you Old Testament scholars. Uh, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Uh, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their god. Mental note to self, nothing good ever came from anyone burning incense, all right? Verse number nine, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And so it seems as we get to chapter 11 here in the life of Solomon that this chapter just kind of comes out of nowhere right? I mean, you're going through the story of Solomon and we've been doing that. And in the first couple of weeks, we were uh, looking and talking about Solomon's awesomeness. And I, I had somebody come up to me after one of those services and, and, and they said, y you know, chapter 11's coming, right? Yeah. And, and I'm like, yes, I do know. But we've been looking at the story of Solomon. We've read all about the awesome success that he had in his life, uh, about the, this incredible wisdom that he had, 
his devotion to God. We saw that Solomon would put, you know, God's kingdom before his own kingdom. And we saw all this in the life of, of Solomon. And we're going along thinking about how great Solomon is, what good things Solomon is doing. The whole world, you know, the, all the spotlights on Solomon. Solomon's reflecting that spotlight uh, back to God. And then bam, chapter 11 right? The wheels fall off. And I don't know this. I probably, if I would have thought about this before I got up here to preach this morning, would have Googled this too. But it makes me wonder if in the legal community, chapter 11, when you file chapter 11 uh, with a, a lawyer, if it isn't a reference back to Solomon's life right here. I mean, he's hit chapter 11 and it has fallen apart. But, but I mean, you sit here and read this and you're like, you know, forevermore, the dude had like a thousand wives. Uh, Kevin McNabb came up to me after the early servant, and he was like, you know, when you read there, he had a thousand wives. I was thinking like, you know, 30 or 40 would be plenty, you know, and, and, you know, but he has a thousand wives and this dude is the wisest man to ever live. And now you're beginning to question that, you know, I'm not very smart. And I know that this would make life extremely difficult if you had a thousand wives. I, I mean, think about it, guys. For those of us that just have one wife, keeping up with just birthdays and anniversaries is quite the feat, right? Can you imagine having a thousand anniversaries and a thousand birthdays uh, to remember or, or even worse than that? Uh, remembering all of their names. I, I mean, honestly, I meet people in the community sometimes and I look at them and embarrassingly go, do you go to our church? You know, and because I'm not sure, and we don't even have a thousand people, but we have, you know, several hundred. And, and so, you know, Solomon was probably like, he'd probably come up to a lady and he'd be like, you know, you look familiar, you know, are we married? <laughs> You know, and so thus the problem, you know, began. But we look at this and maybe think that the reason that, that Solomon fell, you know, the, the beginning of, of all this unraveling was because obviously he was a sex addict or something, you know. But there's a, a lot more going on here uh, behind the scenes, a lot more going on here than a lust uh, for exotic women. Uh, back in these times, what, what was taking place would actually been uh, considered to be uh, fairly normal. Kings would often marry the daughters of neighboring kings. Uh, they would often do this. Common practice in the culture and in the world that they lived in, they would marry the daughters of other kings as a way of guaranteeing peace between the two nations. I mean, if you think about it, the idea was, is that if your daughter were to marry, you know, the, the king of the neighboring country, then you would be less likely to attack that nation or attack that palace because you had a daughter and probably grandchildren that were, uh, uh, you know, in that nation. And so it was a way of, uh, of guaranteeing peace. Uh, and, and so we see here in verse three. It says that 700 of his wives were princesses, princesses or uh, some translations say of royal birth. These were daughters of kings in surrounding nations around them. So here's the deal. This was more about security than it was the actual relationships with these women. Okay. And, and, and but the problem was this, that back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter one, God had plainly told Israel not to do this. Okay. 
They had been instructed uh, uh, not to do this. They, they didn't need any treaties with other nations for their security. God said, don't do that. Don't form alliances. Don't form treaties with these other nations and these, with these other kings. There's no need for you to do that because your security is going to be found in me. You are my children. I will protect. I will provide. I will take care of you. And so God specifically ordered, commanded Israel uh, not to do that. So what's happening here? Well, Solomon, he wasn't necessarily satisfied with what God had promised, right? He, he wasn't trusting God that God would do what he had said he would do. And so Solomon, in his infinite wisdom, uh, I, I want to do a, I, I want, I need a little extra insurance here. I need a, a little extra insurance policy to protect the safety uh, of our country. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a look at this story and, and highlight some of the things that will bring a good person down, highlight some of the things that will bring a good man down. Some things that will bring a good woman down. Something that will bring uh, good people down because here's the deal. Some of the greatest people in history, some of the best people in history, people greater uh, than, than you and I could ever hope to be, right? Including the wisest one to ever live were taken down. And we step back and wonder sometimes now, where are they now? whatever happened to them. And so the first thing that we see in the story this morning is this, a good person, a good man is brought down by not believing God's promises. All right. A good person can be brought down by not believing God's promises. And like we saw earlier, Solomon's problem wasn't out of control lust. Okay. His core problem was that he didn't trust God enough to fully rely on him. He didn't trust God enough to fully depend on the promises of God. And I, I would say this morning that that is almost always the case with sin in our lives. It's almost always the case when we have sin in our lives. And I would argue that the root core of sin in people's lives is unbelief in their lives. Uh, whatever area of our life where we're not fully obeying God, whatever area of our life that we're not being fully obedient to God's word is an area that we're not trusting him with. It's an area that we're not trusting uh, him in. And I, I, I want to give you a few examples this morning uh, of what I have seen and what I have experienced in, in my almost 20 years of ministry now where people have not trusted the promises of God. I saw this, uh, this one a lot more as a youth pastor, uh, but as I get older, I'm beginning to see it in the lives of adults as well. But it's when people aren't obedient to God in areas of their life that uh, evolve or associated with romance uh, in their lives. I've seen it happen over and over again where people will get involved with someone, people will date someone, all right, that they know they shouldn't be involved with, that they know they shouldn't be dating, they know they shouldn't be uh, uh, growing or developing a relationship with, but here's the deal. They don't trust God with this area of their life. 
They don't trust God with the romantic side uh, of their life. Uh, and, and they're so afraid that they'll never find the right person. They're so afraid that they'll never find true romance and what they believe romance to be that they decide this. People do this all the time. All right, I'm not going to give God this area of my life and I'm going to control it myself because God's not working on my timeline and he's not putting the right kind of people in front of me that I think I want to spend the rest of my life with. And so we take that over ourselves and we try to control it ourselves and say, I'll be in charge of this area right here and I will pick and I will choose uh, for myself. Uh, Another big one is money. Okay, a lot of people, and I would, I would go out on a limb here today to say even church-going people don't obey God when it comes to the area of finances in their life. God commands, God says, be obedient to me in giving me the first and giving me the best. And I'm going to say that a lot of people, even church-going people today, are not faithful in that, are not obedient to that. And it's not necessarily because they're being defiant. They're not saying, I'm shaking my $100 bills in God's face and I'm going to hold on to them. It's not that idea. It's not that mindset. Most of the case, I would even say that it's not because they're just being stingy. But I would say the reason people aren't faithful and obedient to God when it comes to the area of finances in their lives is because they're afraid. They're afraid if they give up that money, they're not going to be able to pay their bills. If they give God 10% at the beginning, if we give him the first and give him the best, then at the end of the month, there may not be enough left, right? And so it's because we don't trust God to do exactly what he said he would do uh, in our lives. I don't know if I can get by with giving up that much of the income that I know I have to use every single month to make ends meet. And we hear the promises of God where he says in his word, he will supply all of our needs. We will not want for anything. You read the promises of the Bible that says God will bless you and he will multiply your life when you give him the first and give him the best. And people will say, but here's the deal, Steve. I put how much I make at the top of the paper. I put all my bills underneath that. And at the end of the month, it just don't come out. It never will. (laughs) It never will. I wish you could see all the sheets of paper that Lynette and I filled out trying to figure out what we should do next or what area of our life that we should trust God in. It never works. Excel will not even make it work. Okay. You take that number at the top. You, you do what you know you're supposed to do to be faithful and obedient to God. And you put all the rest there. And at the bottom, it will not work. It will not work on paper. And so we don't trust God. We don't trust God. We trust our spreadsheet. We trust our our, our sheet of paper. And and we don't really trust the promises of God because it doesn't work out in our minds or on our spreadsheet. I'm going to keep going because I could could preach on this for like two hours, all right? I got wound up on this this morning. Somebody actually stood up and said, you need to stop. But no, they didn't. I got a roar here. I don't know if it's coming from my monitors or what, but it may be even be in my head. Another place that I sometimes see this, this lack of trust in God or people uh, uh, being totally obedient to God is, is when they refuse to forgive someone. 
Okay, when they refuse to extend forgiveness to one, someone. I've had people say, well, you know what? If I forgive them, then you know what they'll do? If I forget it and I just let it go and I just go on, they're gonna hurt me again. They're gonna do the exact same thing over to me again. If I forgive them of it and let it go, that's just gonna be like, you know, I'm saying, throwing the doors open saying, okay, do it again. You know, and that's, that's how we think. That's, that's our mindset. Uh, if, we, if we truly forgive someone and get over it and let it go, then they're not really going to know how bad they hurt us, right? Because if we just let it go and say, oh, it's all over and done, they're not going to know how bad it hurt and how much damage they did to us. And so we're not willing to forgive, right? Uh, and, and so what, what do we do when we're not willing to forgive? Well, we nurse that bitterness, don't we? And we carry that. And who does, it, who does it hurt in the end? Does it hurt the person you haven't forgiven? No, no, it only hurts us, right? God's word teaches us a lot about forgiveness and how we're to extend it. Uh, and God says, you know what? If you'll trust me with it, I'll take care of you and I'll bring healing to your life and to that situation. If you'll trust me with it and forgive the way that I have forgiven you. Oh, by the way, I'll move on. There's another area of people don't trust God is when things don't go the way they think they ought to be going. Anybody here in life ever had uh, the world or life throw them a curveball that they was not, they were not expecting, huh? Curveballs come, things happen that we haven't planned for, that we haven't prepared for. Uh, you know, I, I've told many of you, I, I worked at Axiom for, for a very long time, and that is a place that is widely known for layoffs, right? And I've seen people at the top of their game. I've seen people at the top of the corporate ladder, the, 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 the you know, life of success, living in the million-dollar home, driving the, the, the best cars that money can buy, living the dream. A month later, chapter 11, right? Because life throws you curveballs. Things don't always go the way that we plan, and so you lose your job. Maybe you don't get into the school uh, that you wanted to be accepted to. Maybe, heaven forbid, you get cut from a team. Some of you do not know what that is like because you are absolutely amazing athletes. I know what it's like. Conway, I tell you what year, which coach. I, I'm not over it yet, all right? I'm just not over it, all right? But basically, they just looked at me and said, you're too slow and you can't jump. And so I, can't, I couldn't play on the basketball team at Conway. Uh, but anyway, you know, things like that happen. Maybe you get an unexpected medical diagnosis, you know, uh, and, and sometimes our first thought is when the world throws us a curveball or something comes at us that we wasn't expecting or we weren't planning for, our first thought is, God, what in the world are you doing? I thought you had a plan. Your word said you had a plan. If this is your plan, I ain't liking it. I don't like your plan, right? And, and, and if we're honest, that's our reaction. That's, that's our response. And, and, and so what do we do? Well, since we don't like it and we don't trust God and we don't like his plan, what do we do? Well, we pick up that burden, we pick up that struggle, we pick up that hurt, whatever it is, and we just drudge along, right? Carrying it ourselves because God obviously can't. What are we doing there? What are we doing? All these things are lack of trust in God, whom we say we believe, whom we say we have made Lord of our life, but yet we don't trust him. And we have this unbelief in God's actual promises to him. Listen, the root cause of Solomon's downfall was that he was not trusting God to keep him secure. 
Right? The, the root cause of Solomon's downfall was that he felt this need for security in his life that God had already told him he didn't need, right? But Solomon thought he did. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is this, what area in your life are you not trusting God? What area in your life are you not trusting God because that area very well could be the beginning of your chapter 11, the beginning of your downfall. Verse two, God had clearly said, do not multiply wives, but Solomon disobeyed that and it was the beginning of his downfall. Another area here that we see uh, that can bring a good person down is this, by the company that you keep. I could preach on this till next Sunday. <clears throat> I, I don't preach on this enough. Verse two and three says that Solomon held fast to these women in love and they led him astray. I believe the single most important factor in determining your future walk with God is the people that you're walking with. I believe it because I've seen it time and time and time again. The single most important factor in determining your future walk with Jesus is the people that you hold close to you. And ironically, Solomon, he doesn't even take his own advice. We have the book of Proverbs. We talked about all that he had written, all the wisdom that he had shared. He, he doesn't even take his own advice. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20, Solomon said this, walk with the wise and become wise. See, he knew. He had this head knowledge. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools will suffer harm. I heard someone say one time that your friends are the future you. Your friends are the future you, which means you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Young people and adults. Show me the people that are closest to you that you walk with daily and I will show you who you are going to become. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads people astray. Listen, your closest relationships, those that you are most intimate with, that you walk with uh, more than anyone else ought to be believers because inevitably you will become just like them. Okay, and don't misunderstand me here because I'm not saying not to have acquaintances that are non-Christian, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't ever be around anybody that's not a Christian, uh, you know, because we will never bring people to Jesus if we're not coming in contact with and, and having acquaintances that aren't followers of Jesus. But what I am saying is this, the people that are closest to you, the people that you walk with daily, the people who are in your inner circle need to be believers that encourage you, believers that will build you up, 
believers that will hold you accountable to what God's promises and what his word speaks into your life. Because listen to me, a non-Christian is not going to do that. And I could stand up here and honestly preach another hour on people that you should be dating and people that you should consider marrying, but I won't go there, but you should be considering that because people that don't have the same faith that you have are not going to encourage your faith. They're going to discourage your faith. Show me who's closest to you and I'll show you your future. Okay, and so uh, uh, so non-Christian people are just not going to do that. And so we have to look at the people that we are surrounding ourselves with, that we are closest to, and that will be our future. And that brings us to the next thing and last thing. I'm rolling right through this this morning. A good person is brought down. Don't miss this. Gradually, not all at once. Chapter 11 here seems like it just comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? It, it seems like, you know, that it just, it just all of a sudden happens. Just a train wreck begins happening and, and won't stop. But it really doesn't. It really doesn't happen that way. We began this series four weeks ago back in chapter 3. We started chapter 3 at verse 5 where God appears to Solomon in a dream. He comes to Solomon and God says, ask me for anything. But right before verse 5 in verse number 1 of chapter 3, look at what we find there says this, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord. And then God gives Solomon his dream where he says, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. Now, don't miss this. Because from the very beginning, Solomon had sown these seeds of destruction already. They had already been sown. Now, in one way, this encourages me and should be an encouragement to you because it means that God chose Solomon even though he had already messed up. God chose him even knowing that he had already started down the wrong path. And so what God is doing here in Solomon's life is what we talked about last week. He's inviting him to go a different route. He's inviting him to go down a, a different path. God's inviting him to depart from his old ways, his old way of thinking, this sin, uh, you know, this, this, the sin that he has in his heart and his life to depart from that and to follow God and to do it God's way. And that should encourage every single one of us here this morning because that means that God can choose and God can bless us even if we've messed up too even if we've made mistakes in our past. But this also shows us this, and don't miss this, that just because God blesses us, it doesn't mean that we can ignore the small sins in our life. Just because he may have blessed us and just because he may have chosen us doesn't mean that we can disregard whatever it was that was there when he did that because he wants us to go a different route. And a, and a different path. Solomon probably thought here, you know what? This isn't a big deal. This isn't a big deal. Everybody else is doing it. All the kings around me, they're, they're marrying each other's daughters. And it's, a, you know, it's, I'm sure he justified it. God, it's your chosen people. It's your children. I'm doing the best that I can with what I've got to protect uh, your, your nation. And so Solomon is like, it isn't a big deal. It hadn't hurt me yet. 
I, you know, I'm fine. I can justify this. I can justify this behavior, this action. Listen, nothing is more dangerous in your life than sin that you haven't dealt with yet. Nothing is more dangerous in your life than something that is going on within you that is totally disobedient to God and you're justifying it and saying it's okay, it's fine. Nobody else even knows about it. It's not hurting anybody else. Look at the story of Solomon. Look at, look at what happened here. You know, we, we think we're fine, but it's just a matter of time. I was reading, uh, some of you may be familiar with Charles Spurgeon. He was a great preacher uh, back in the 1800s over in England. Uh, he was called the, the Prince of Preachers. Uh, I've read uh, several of his sermons, and, and he describes uh, this hidden sin, this small sin, this stuff that we tend to uh, overlook. He, he describes it like this. He kind of describes it like a spider web. You know, when you walk through a, a spider web, maybe going out the door or something, and you just kind of feel it, and you know it's there, but you can't get a hold of it, and it's, you know, like that. That's kind of how he describes it. He says, at first, they can scarcely be seen. He's talking about these little sins that we hide, cover up, and justify. He says, they can scarcely be seen, and they seem as though you could break from them in a moment. Then they become like silken bonds, then firmer steel until a man seems to be enveloped in a tangle of cables and every cable hardens and becomes as iron or triple steel until at last there is no escaping it. The greatest moral catastrophes happen, not all of a sudden, but by slow degrees. It sounds so much like what Jesus' brother James talked about over in the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 15, he basically says, here's a warning to you. Here's a warning to all of you. Sin starts as this desire. Sin starts as a wayward desire, a fantasy, and then it turns into a guilty pleasure. And then it turns into something that you actually crave and you find that you can't live without it. And finally, it becomes something that will destroy you and kill you. Listen, you have to take sin in your life seriously. One scholar said it like this. You have to be actively killing it or it will be killing you. So what is it in your life? What is it in your life that you're just letting ride and you think, you know, this is really not a big deal at all. Everybody else is doing it. Not hurting anybody. Nobody else is being affected by this. What is it that you're letting ride in your life that you know is in total disobedience to God right now? Because let me tell you something. We should learn from Solomon's story and many other stories throughout scripture. Whatever that is that you're letting ride in your life is a ticking time bomb. It's popular preaching today, isn't it? Yeah. Solomon had so much confidence. Think about all that he experienced, all that he'd been given. I mean, he was at the top of the world. The world's spotlight was shining down on him. But what happens sometimes when people experience that kind of success and that kind of blessing in their life? Well, they have a tendency to let their guard down. Unfortunately, we see it time and time and time again. But few things can destroy a good person like success will. Because success can make even a good person forget how dependent they are on grace. Every moment of every day, 
We're all dependent on grace. Don't miss this. Solomon was a man who had it all. He was the wisest. He was the most successful man that ever lived. But he was a man whose wisdom that he had and success that he had could not keep him from destroying himself. (laughs) He destroyed himself. So what do we learn from Solomon? Well, the story that we've been looking at teaches us that we need more than wisdom. Right? We need more than wisdom. The lesson here is not to be wise and successful the way that Solomon was. That's not the point. That's not the lesson. Solomon had more wisdom than all of us put together. Right? The problem with Solomon here was not what was in his head. The problem with Solomon was what was in his heart. And his head had turned away from what his heart knew was the right thing to do and the right way to live. And I believe the whole story of Solomon, the whole point of Solomon's life can be summed up over in the New Testament because some of you aren't that crazy about the Old Testament. So, but I believe it's summed up over in Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses there. I believe it gives us a great picture of Solomon's life. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded... By such a great cloud of witnesses, it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and that sin that so easily entangles. It starts out like a spider web. It becomes cables and steel that we can't, we can't break free th- from. The writer says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Now, this is saying here, I think it's clearly saying, don't be like Solomon. Don't start well and then finish a fool. Don't start well and then let foolishness or lack of trust or unbelief in God's promises and his word and these small areas of life that you're compromising right now, don't don't let that destroy your life. But it says instead, don't miss this. This is good. It's about to get really good. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Other translations here say the author and the finisher of our faith, all right? The pioneer, the perfecter, the author, the finisher of our faith means this, all right? Don't miss this. He's already won the race for you. That's what that means. He's already won it. Jesus ran the race in your place and he won it. Look at what it says. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that is? The winner's circle. That's where he's sitting. He's in his place. He's in the winner's circle. He sat down at the right hand of God, which means the race is actually over and the victory has been won. The crown is yours. It's yours. He won the race. He received the crown. He received the crown and then he turned and he gave it to you. And he made you the victor. He gave you the crown, which tells me this. We're winners. Huh? You're an overcomer. You are a beloved and accepted son. You are a beloved and accepted daughter. You're a victor that is setting in the winner's circle with Jesus himself. And listen to me. When you believe that, 
When you believe that, when you get that, when you let that go from here to here that Jesus ran and won the race in your place, let me tell you something. You have something that Solomon did not have. (laughs) You have something that Solomon didn't have and that's the power to run victoriously, right? In, In a way that Solomon could have never done in a way that he could have never run. And the people who grow and the people who mature in the Christian faith without getting tripped up and without falling into these traps are the people who realize that their acceptance by God is not based on their behavior. It's not based on them being better or doing more or accumulating more or running faster, right? The point of Solomon's life is not get wiser and you win. The point of Solomon's life is not get wiser and you succeed. It's not accumulate more and you win the prize. Solomon had more wisdom and he had more gold than any of us could ever even dream of having. And he failed miserably. He failed miserably. The point is, you need something more than wisdom. (laughs) You need Jesus. I don't know what you came in here thinking today that you need, but Solomon has just proved the point that whatever it is that you thought it was is not, it's Jesus. And when you realize that he is what you need and that he has already run and won the race, he'll give you the strength that you need. He'll give you exactly what you need to live your life with this godly wisdom that we've been talking about for four weeks now. Let me tell you something. God doesn't want you to become one of those people who starts strong and doesn't finish. That's not his plan for your life. That's not his desire for your life. Someone who, you know, years from now, people will be going, I wonder where they are now. I wonder what happened to them. Oh, I remember chapter 11. They crashed and they burned. Any good person can be brought down by not trusting God, by not believing the promises that he has already given you in his word. Any good person can be brought down by the company that they keep. Look around you, the people that are closest, look at the friends, the closest friends and companions that are in your life right now and you're going to get a glimpse of what your future is going to be. Any good person can be brought down gradually by allowing sin to remain in your life that you don't deal with or you don't surrender or allow God to cleanse and rid you from. And my prayer for you and my prayer for me today is that there is never a chapter 11 written about your life. But some of you are on the path to chapter 11. My prayer is that you'll change paths and there'll never be a chapter 11 written about you or from me. And so I believe we can actually learn a lot from Solomon and what to do and more importantly today, what not to do. Godly wisdom isn't something that we have in our heads, but it's something that we must allow God to work into our hearts. And that's godly wisdom.
right there. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you today again for your word, what you've spoken to our lives today. And I, and I have no idea what you're doing, what you're going to do. Uh, but I know that your word is alive and it's active and it's working in some hearts and lives today. And you've put your finger on some things, some situations, maybe some relationships, maybe some disobedience, lack of trust. I don't know, but you know. And every single one of us here today, we know what it is that you're speaking into our hearts and our lives. So it's my prayer today that we would walk out of here being wise people that we would allow some godly wisdom to do a work within our hearts that would in turn change our lives, change our paths, change our future. We thank you today for the hope that we have in the victory that we've already been given. That, that, that in itself should, should change the way we live. That, that should change the way that we run the race, the way that we continue on this journey when we understand we have something so much greater than what Solomon had, and that's victory in you that we can have in a relationship with you as we walk with you daily. I pray that we would never take for granted or lose sight of the fact that we need grace in our lives every moment of every day because it's when we forget that, it's when we take our eyes off of that that we open ourselves up to failure and for the tricks of Satan because he clearly wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his plan. And he's been pretty effective at it, especially in the church. So I pray today would be a day that we'd take a stand and realize him for exactly what he is and who he is and what he's trying to accomplish and just stand back and go, no, we win. We've already won. And we'll continue as winners on this journey with you. I thank you for what you're doing here today. I thank you for what you're gonna do in the days ahead. And we trust you because we love you. We believe you. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we ask these things. Amen.